welcome to Escape Roots with Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Divya Thani, Global Editorial Director of Condé Nast Traveler, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey. And at Condé Nast Traveler, we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favorite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners, or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Rick Jordan. Welcome to Condé Nast Travelers Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on Istria in Croatia, which featured in the September 2018 issue of Condé Nast Traveler magazine. I hope you enjoy it. Getting to Istria took me a while. I first came to what was then Yugoslavia in the late 1980s, stumbling off the train in Zagreb, travelling by bus to the coast to have my sleeves plucked by short grandmothers and crow-black cows who offered bedrooms for a fiver, waking after midday to force down grainy, hours-cold coffee. After the Bosnian conflict, I went back, first to Dubrovnik, eating fried sardines beneath the city walls, with fishermen pleased to see visitors returning, then hopping between Korchula, Havar and Viz, and the scattershot islands around them, the dots that inspired the Romans to christen spotted hunting dogs Dalmatians. I hiked poppy-lit tracks to cliff-top churches and watched lightning storms crackle out to sea. But more recently... I've been drawn north to Ravine, a coastal citadel that's nobody's secret really, but seems off radar to those who gravitate to overcrowded Dubrovnik. Slip away by boat or bicycle, you can have a cove to yourself, even in August. And in autumn, it's still warm enough to leap straight off a rock into the sea. I have a routine to any first day back in Ravine. I walk around the harbour, past fishing nets and the knitting needle click of masts on one side, the old tobacco chimneys on the other, for a drink outside the Hotel Adriatic. Then I climb shellac-smooth steps for the old town, past the iron-booted diving suit at Feather Jose restaurant, up to the church plateau for a crow's nest sighting of the Adriatic, the statue of St. Euphemia high above, set on ball bearings so she turns with the wind, in the tangle of medieval alleys, some end abruptly with the waves. Swift scream overhead like imperial fighters defending the Death Star. Many families with memories that go back almost 600 years have sold up, swapping crumbling garrets for brighter homes further out. But there's still semaphores of laundry strung between apartments. The town cobbler holds fast, a box frame outside like a shrine, 
with wooden lasts and two-tone leather. Wilting photographs show smiling men with aprons and cigarettes, squinting in the sepia sunshine. There will always be time for Prosecco and scallops and sea truffles at Puntalina, a restaurant cradled on the rocks where smugglers landed fish in Venetian times, and where local youth jump in, brown limbs kicking up flurries of dazzled water, like a scene from an early Fellini film. Sometimes I'll see dolphins loping into a blood-orange sunset. It feels like the restaurant at the end of the universe. Four years ago, there was a mighty storm that sent waves crashing right over us. Whoosh, says Giovanni Palizza, generations of fishermen behind him, who runs Pantolina like a boat skipper. Afterwards, we found sea sponges on the roof. His father, Corrado, was the godfather of a Vin nightlife. After visiting Milan in the 1960s, he opened the first disco in Yugoslavia here, then its first pizzeria. The club closed down, bizarrely accused of playing fascist music, but his restaurants survive. My father's 81, but when he's with his friends at the Rio Cafe, drinking and telling stories, he's still in his 20s, Giovanni tells me. At the Grota Bar in the market, men in the same generation gather like Scorsese wise guys, t-shirts straining, trading well-trodden jokes in Ravina Italian dialect around the upturned barrels, sometimes snapping hands out for a round of Mora, a millennia-old guessing game. Marietta, body like a ballerina, pirouettes around with the mid-morning wine, the bar's own vintage, and carries glasses of fizzy herbaceous pasarita, colour of neon coral to the fishmongers who stand over rock-skinned scorpion fish, mouths gaping like surprised gargoyles, ready for the boulibas pot. Slipping into the water off Malini Beach, this modernist white promenade, we swim back and climb up, or at least try to climb up, sinking calf-deep in pebbles, laughing and flailing around, falling on your knees to wade out. Just around the headland is one of my favourite places, a derelict beach club that's slowly been zombified, creepers and roots taking over the graffitied swimming pools. Look at my ping-pong tables, ye mighty, in despair. Further along the coast, the beaches get wilder and more naked. Locals will head to the nearby islands to swim, or over to little coves, such as the one at Brissich, or Primantura on the southern tip of Istria, to dive from high on the cliffs. Istria is flinty-hard, cast country, with limestone bones that knuckle through the surface, cushioned by red earth that scars easily. On the geological record, its time as part of Yugoslavia is just a scattering of dust. From the 1950s, the Istrian islands were designated as the people's paradise by Yugoslavia's leader, Tito, war hero, Stalin defier, and a man with an almost Tudor appetite for exotic beasts, who had his summer home in the Briuni Islands, driving his Lincoln convertible around and feeding elephants given to him by Indira Gandhi. His wildlife park survives, with one solitary tusker and a forlornly surreal atmosphere. Get the angles right and you can line up grazing zebra with Roman ruins and empty beaches. In the gallery... Acres of photographs of the man, a homage to wide lapel beige suits and the stars of the day. 
he was modest enough to request Richard Burton to play him in the film, hosting the actor on his yacht, the Galeb, which is soon to be turned into a museum. Burton, strangely sober and bored while he ends translated anecdotes. Elizabeth Taylor, basking in the perceived power of it all, waving at sunbathers on the rocks. And Tito, proudly telling his captive audience that the caves beneath are infested with gunboats and submarines. There were Ottoman ruins in the woods outside Meningeti Wine Estate, near Bale, and old army camps with artillery shells set as a warning on concrete posts. On the pebble beach here, the only other person is a grizzled man who rubs his stubble and tells me he once played folk guitar for Tito. But at Menigeti, it's all about the here and the now, and the merlot and the food. Oysters from the Limfjord, goat's cheese and prosciutto. Orzo pasta, stained black with cuttlefish ink. Beetroot and chocolate ice cream. Eating never used to be this good in Croatia. There's olive oil so fresh it kicks like a grasshopper. And white Malvasia wine, floral and light. On one visit, I stumbled across a trio of young chefs who had set up branch outside Ravine, bringing intricate seafood plates to painted tables beneath all the trees as the light ripened and faded. And in country Cornobas, the family-run taverns you'll find outside most towns, strong-armed matriarchs stir pencil shavings of earthy black truffle into creamy pasta and serve mushrooms gathered in the forest that morning. A challenge would be to go for a single day without eating truffle in some form. I try it once, only to be ambushed by a tapenade of olive and truffle, unannounced on the menu. Those truffles come from Istria's interior, from around medieval villages that delight in names such as Hum and Vra. Many exist in various states of abandonment and rediscovery, left to crumble after World War II. Grozhnyan, for example, is heartbreakingly pretty with its painted shutters and, and absence of 21st century trappings. But transformed into an art colony in the 1960s, it's now overrun with wind chimes and figurines and garish oil paintings of the sort that decorate coffee shops. But in Orpity, the church bell scattered birds above an empty square, and Escher-like steps seem to lead nowhere. A solitary figure with the beard and gauntness of a distant poet sits on a bench selling local wine. I find a single shop open, owned by a Dutch emigre, Mink van Ingen, who knits lifelike birds, sets flowers and resin, and has a Martin Parr-like eye for the everyday absurd. She counts on her fingers and tells me there are just 55 people living here. Many of the buildings were restored as foster homes for orphans from the Bosnian conflict, but many are still roofless shells, beautiful ruins with hollow-eyed windows, an eerie wild east ghost town. Folklore still skulks and snaps twigs in the dense greensward. Libidinous blood drinkers or Volkodak, nocturnal demons and vampire-hunting shaman make for Balkan Gothic, untapped by popular culture. The first recorded story of an actual vampire comes from the Istrian hamlet of Kringer, 
17th century figure who kept rising from the dead until neighbours drove a stake through his heart. Beneath the soft waves of Ravine lies a drowned village known as Sissa, the history in Atlantis, and fishermen claim their nets, occasionally snare and fora or ancient bricks. The vampires, really? My friend Vanya, who has lived here since she was a girl, smiles a smile and twiddles the red bracelet she wears to ward off witches. In Mottavan, another hilltop hamlet, inland from Ravine, grass grows between rippling cobbles, long shut iron gates guard untender wilderness. A van trundles round, its female Tanai voice, repeating fresh fish, fresh fish over brass band horns. On cafe radios, hoarse-throated crooners sing of love and loss over plinky-plong rhythms. Tom Waits meets your vision. I sidestep off the street and follow a back path braced by vines down to a cemetery guarded by a cortege of slender hip cypresses, stones decorated with the Catholic kitsch of plastic flowers and cupids, Luigi's next to drug avalanches. It's a languorous cat stretch of a day. Geckos slip in and out of stone walls like tongues. At the top of the village are battlements where you can lean on fossil dry bulwarks and trace the line of the canal that threads into Slovenia, the valley breeze buffing your face. Compared to Orpatai, Motovan is a megacity of almost 550 people. I find ten of them gathered in the church one evening, male voices joined in a cappella, a Croatian clapper choir. Singing has deep roots in Istria. Instead of sea shanties, fishermen sang Maria de Noto, passing notes wordlessly from boat to boat. William, a towering presence and a local curtain maker, stands alongside the mayor and a man with a badger hair mohawk. The choir master is the cousin of a cousin of someone else. And the voices rise, as warm as freshly waxed oak, up towards fleshy baroque angels. Outside, a lone red fiat, filled with laughing, dark-haired students, rattles down the squeeze-cut street, scrapes his axle, and disappears around the bend. I head back to my friends at Villa Angelo, an 18th century former customs house with a noseless stone face above the door lintel, which has been tamed by a 30-something English landscape gardener, Ben Wilson, as a place to rent. The floors are laid with stippled local marble from the same quarry that helped build Venice and the White House. There's a wooden chemist counter from Italy, sketches of the Chateau de Claverie and its Picasso mosaic, which once belonged to Ben's family, and a terrace with a rain-polished farmhouse table, arched windows framing needlework rows of vines, the coarse green wool of woodland. Just beneath is a delicious strip of swimming pool, the only one in Mutterven, wrestled out of the hard ground, and a garden hazy impressionist with lavender and rosemary, a cave-like steam room tucked inside dry stone walls the colour of crema catalana. Ben's father, Philip, wears braces on his trousers, decorated with skulls, has a spark on his eye, and offers to show us his collection of outlandish gourds. A retired publisher, whose own father ran Sotheby's after the war, he bought a house in Motteville in the late 70s, when a book on medieval medical instruments became an unlikely hit in Yugoslavia. 
We're closer here to more UNESCO sites than Berlin or Paris, Peter declares from the terrace. That large house over on the hillside there, he points, belongs to one of the last of the Habsburgs. Over there, a descendant of Bismarck. These folds of half-forgotten valleys are where old empires go to ground. English eccentrics too, and an LA video director, a neighbour who eloped here from the madness to make his own music, and throttles around villages and wild swimming waterholes on his motorbike. He joins us for a feast on the terrace, Nick Cave hair and Byron white shirt, where Chef Sasha brings King Prawn Risotto and Red Mullet. Sleeves rolled up, shaking his head sadly at our request for no meat, and talking about life in the Balkans. Albania, he shrugs. I would never return, but his eyes light up. They make cognac better than the French. Istrians can be a little disparaging about Dalmatia and its art of fiaca, the sweetness of doing nothing. Or as I'm told by Vanya, when the sun gets up, it's time for them to lie down. The feast turns into a pool party, blurs of pale ink skin breaking the water's surface as lightning veins the darkness. Above, clear skies swirl with million-year-old starshine. This elevated hill village is an accidental observatory. It seems in the middle of nowhere, but feels more connected to the rest of the galaxy than any city. Ravin is in Istria. The peninsula dangles like a bunch of grapes at the top of the Adriatic, opposite Venice, which was once the dominant power here. Then came Napoleon and the Ottomans, and the region paused for breath as part of Italy between the wars, before being absorbed into Yugoslavia. Habsburg families would holiday along the Istrian Riviera, taking the waters from stucco villas the colour of faded cotton. Istrian ladies would board the steamboat for Trieste in time for the opera. Now post-Ibiza parties have colonised the southern town of Pula, setting up sound systems in air grade tunnels dug during World War I. And while Asterix would feel at home in the oaky, folky hinterland, with its wild boar, farm signs for donkey milk and cartwheels, a succession of discreet, well-designed wine estates, hotels and villas are appearing. A marked change from the days when grand facades hid fly-blown 70s interiors. And the region's small-batch food and low-intervention wine, ah, the wine, are gaining a reputation to match Tuscany's. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Street podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us on the charts and ensure that you're the first to hear about our new episodes.